romantic. And, uh, oh, what a great song. If you're in love, you know what that feels like, right? It does, it's, it's, it does feel lucky, fortunate. It feels good. It's like, this is right. I'm, I'm so lucky to be in a relationship with this person. And we use that language to talk about love. But we, we also know, on the other hand, when it's not Valentine's Day, we know that it takes a little more than luck to turn a feeling, an initial relationship into a lifetime commitment. It takes a lot more than luck. Let's just be honest. Um, it, it, takes, it takes skill. And we don't, we don't talk about love in that way very much. We don't talk about marriage in that way. Some of you are engaged, and nobody's coming up to you and saying, now, do you have the right skills to be married? They're, they're not asking that kind of question of you. But once you get into marriage, you realize there's some things I need to learn. Because none of us come into marriage with the full set of skills to stay married. It's sort of on-the-job training. we got to learn really, really quickly and brush up on some areas we're not real, real good at. Maybe the most important skill that you have to learn in order to stay married is the skill of communication. It's being able to talk to one another through good times and bad times and, and average days and not-so-average days. Just keeping communication lines open. And on the one hand, this seems easy, right? Because we've all been talking from a very young age, right? Like we, we learned words pretty early. We put sentences together early on in life, started putting phrases together. We've, we've been talking, we've been communicating for a long time, but communication can be tricky. Uh, Jimmy Evans wrote a book called Marriage on the Rock and in it, he writes, communication is the most important vehicle for our marriage relationships to establish spiritual, emotional, mental, and practical oneness. The most important skill that we can develop. And although it seems like it should be easy, if you've tried it, you know it's not always real easy. Things get lost in translation, don't they? From a man to a woman, from a woman to a man, and one of the reasons is we don't always hear what our spouse is saying. I mean, we hear it, like physically, our ears do their job and our brain decodes the message, but we don't hear what they're really saying. Something gets lost. Uh, I have a couple of friends, and I asked them if I could share this story with you. They're newlyweds, and they're still in the honeymoon phase, and I know they're still in the honeymoon phase because they're still writing notes to each other on the bathroom mirror uh, with dry erase markers, right? Like, if you've been married more than five or ten years, you still do that, too. You know, like, every three years, it'll pop into your mind, hey, we used to do this. When you're newly married, it's, it's, it's a lot of the time. And so, a couple of weeks ago, he had to leave before she got up, and so he did. He wrote a uh, uh, an epistle of his affection for his new bride on the mirror and, and even capped it off with a Bible reference. He didn't write the verse, he just wrote the reference. And the reference he included was 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Well, isn't that beautiful? Like just newly married, there's, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear and he leaves, and she gets up, and she's reading this note of affection. And I, I don't know what it was about the glare or the way it looked in the mirror, just the fact that it was in 
a mirror. When she saw the Bible verse, she didn't see 1 John 4.18. She saw John 4.18. So she looked up John 4.18, and it says, The fact is, you have had five husbands, (laughs) and the man, man you now have is not your husband. True story. They're here today. True story. Hey, look, communication's hard. We can't even get the Bible right sometimes in marriage when we're trying to communicate with one another. And then you add on top of that autocorrect, right? Anybody have trouble with autocorrect when you're sending messages? Like there's certain words that you have to be careful of. John and I have talked about this. Shirt is one for me. Like I have to double check <laughs> that word every time I text somebody. But if, you're, if you aren't careful, I mean, you'll send a note. If you hit send too fast, you'll cuss out your mama, right? <laughs> Autocorrect makes it even more difficult to communicate with one another. Now, communication hasn't just started being important. Words haven't just started being important. They've always been important, which is why the Bible talks about this issue a lot. Some of the Bible's strongest warnings are about the words that we use, the way that we speak to our spouse, to our friends, to, to our co-workers, uh, to, to people in general. The Bible has a lot to say about this. The whole story of the Bible opens with words, right? In Genesis 1, God speaks the world into existence. He uses words. He didn't have to. The Bible didn't have to describe creation that way. But the Bible says God spoke And the world came to be, and all throughout Genesis 1, and God said, and God said. It was a spoken word that brought the world into existence. Sort of metaphorically speaking, if we could borrow that idea, I think a truth that we have to live with is words create worlds. Words create worlds. In a literal sense in Genesis 1, but in a figurative sense in our relationships, The words that we use create the environments that we live in. Uh, As a father to to my kids, the words I use to my kids, they create the atmosphere of our relationship. Uh, At work, to co-workers, or if you're a boss, you have people working under you, your words, your tone, the things you say on the job creates the environment of your job. And certainly, that's true in our marriage. The way I speak to my spouse, the words I choose, and the way that I say them creates the environment, the atmosphere of my marriage. And so I got to be careful how I communicate and what I communicate. Proverbs deals with uh, the words that we use quite a lot. Proverbs 18.20 says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips... They are satisfied. Ever heard the phrase, you're going to have to eat those words? I'm going to make you eat those words? Proverbs 18.20 says we all eat our words. Everything that comes out of our mouth becomes a part of us. It goes into us, not just out of us. It's a part of who we are. Be careful what you say because when words come out, it's creating a world. It's creating a future. This is one of the problems with Electronic communication, we sort of become desensitized to electronic communication in that we, sent, we, we think that when we hit send, 
those words are gone. Like, okay, I'm done with that. Or when we hit post, we think, okay, I got that out. Now that's over. But sometimes we come to realize that words are just beginning to have a life once I say them. Words are just beginning to have a life when I post them. And they're going to produce fruit, and I'm going to have to eat that fruit, and I'm going to have to live in that environment. That's how important our communication is, how important our words are toward one another. The next verse, Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. I can speak things that encourage, that build up, that give health, to my relationships, my marriage, or I can speak things that tear down to my kids, to my friends, my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my spouse. I can speak life or I can speak death. And whichever one I speak, I'm going to have to live with that. I'm going to have to live in that environment. Jesus said it in the New Testament. In uh, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, don't you see... That whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart. Jesus is basically saying that our words are a window into our heart. Our, our, our words are a way for somebody to look inside and see what's going on with us. And we don't like to think that way, right? But that's what Jesus said. He says it again in Luke 6.45. For the mouth speaks... What the heart is full of. Ouch. That hurts. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. As a matter of fact, if you want to run a little test on your heart, monitor what you say this week. Because Jesus said, that's coming from your heart. That's an example of what's inside of you. Whatever's coming out is coming from inside of you. And that, that's not to say we don't misspeak sometimes. That's not to say we don't use words in ways we didn't intend to. Yes, occasionally we misspeak, but whatever is constantly coming out of our mouth, the, the consistent nature of our language and our communication, Jesus said, that's a reflection of your heart. You know anybody who says something sharp or critical and then follows it up with, I was just kidding. Oh, I didn't mean that. And everybody knows they did mean that, right? Everybody knows they weren't kidding. The, the Proverbs has a verse about that too. It's Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. Not a great phrase. Like, do I have your attention? Right. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. It's in the Bible. If that's you, if that's your communication style, kind of passive-aggressive, kind of slip one in your back, if that's you, proverb writer says you're like a crazy person just shooting deadly arrows all over the place. Stop it. Stop it. And the NIV uses the word deceiving, but it's, there's a range of meaning for that word. And it means if, if you're throwing things at somebody, if you're shooting things at somebody with your mouth, and then you try to cover it with, I was 
only kidding. You're wounding people. You're shooting arrows of death at people. This is, this is the serious nature of our communication with anybody and certainly with our spouse. So how do we take the serious nature of language and communication and apply it then to our marriages? How do we account for the weighty nature of our words in our marriage? Here's a couple of uh, suggestions. Number one, recognize that men and women have different communication styles. Maybe you've already done this. Maybe this is just a reminder, a refresher, or maybe this is all new to you. Men and women don't communicate the same way. They don't try to convey the same things. They, they don't, they're not trying to make the same point. They're not trying to arrive at the same destination. That's the way it is. And that doesn't change. So we've got to account for that. We've got to allow for that. Because here, here's my struggle. is My wife, as she is telling me something, specifically if it's a struggle or a a stress or a conflict or, or something that happened during the day that upset her. I'm listening to her, figuring out what I would want somebody to say if they were telling me that. But that's not what she needs. That's not the way she's saying it to me. And, and my wife's the same way. As I'm telling her something in her mind, because we communicate with different styles, she's thinking, okay, well, what would I want someone to say to me if they were telling me that? But she's not trying to convey the same thing, and I'm not trying to convey the same thing. I realize this is somewhat stereotypical, and everyone doesn't fit neatly into a category. But here's a great line I read this week. Conversationally speaking, women share feelings and men solve problems. Conversationally speaking, women share feelings and men solve problems. This is not about can women be leaders or can women be CEOs or can women do things men can do. It's not that at all. They're saying that conversationally, when, when we're just talking as friends or, or husband and wife, generally women are conveying feelings and men are looking to solve a problem. So as my wife is sharing her feelings with me, I'm coming up with the perfect answer to her problem, and I share the answer to her problem, and it doesn't solve the problem. It creates a problem for me every time I do that. Because I'm hearing the way I would want somebody to respond, but that's not how she's speaking to me. Years ago... I read John Gray's book, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Anybody read this uh, by Gray? Some of you have. Yeah, I, I forgot everything in the book except one thing. There's one thing that stayed with me, probably read it 10 years ago, and, and it's this. Women, again, conversationally speaking, we're not in a board meeting. We're, you know, we're, we're speaking as friends or as, as spouse. Conversationally speaking, women tend to build up the problems and stress of their day. They tend to go into great detail. They want to, to talk on and on about it and the backstory and who said this and two weeks ago this happened and I thought something was up but then she said and I knew it so I said but then that other person got involved and said and so we all got in there together and then I'm afraid this thing could turn into and I need a haircut and... <laughs> 
I haven't had a mani-pedi in three months, and I don't think I look good in yoga pants. All right? It's just, it's just like this huge, everything's kind of piled in there together, right? Women see that as, look, this is a way to connect relation. I'm sharing all of this because this is prime time for us to share our feelings and work on our relationship. I'm not saying they exaggerate. That's not it at all. I'm saying they want to keep talking in details and more and more and more and more and more and more. And they expect the same thing when somebody's talking to them. So, guys, when we're talking to them, they're needing backstory and who was involved and the last thing that happened and what did you say and what did she say and where are we going to dinner for tonight? And it's just like they want more. Not because they're nosy, because they see this conversation and the details of these conversations as opportunities to share feelings and connect relationally. Now, men typically don't process things that way. We don't want to go on and on. We don't, we don't want to talk about all the details. We don't want to make this into a big thing. Men actually, according to Dr. Gray, are just the opposite. Men tend to minimize the things that are going on. Men tend to minimize the problems and the struggles. That's why it's so hard to get detail when they're going through something, because men tend to say, I, I don't worry about it. No, it's going, to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We got, you know, we got to work on a few things, but it's all going to be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I know. It's due tomorrow. I got it. I hadn't started it, but I'm going to finish it. I'm going to get the report to you. It's not a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. It'll be on your desk by anymore. It's no big deal. No, it's not a big deal. Because for guys, for, for, for us, A, that gives us a sense of control. We think, all right, I got it. I'm, I'm in control. I'm going to get this done. And B, it doesn't lay out there all the fear and emotions and I'm way behind and I'm about to crash and burn. We want to minimize that and say to ourselves, no, we're going to get it done. No, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. So women are coming, I need detail. Tell me all, let's connect relationally. And men are coming at it like, no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to, it's going to be fine. We're going to get over it. So a man listens to his wife and, and, and he thinks, well, she wants me to tell her it's not a big deal. Because that's what I would want somebody to tell me. It's going to work out. Look, it's, it's going to work out. You don't need to worry about this. And so guys say that, and she thinks he's being dismissive. Well, apparently he doesn't care because he, he just said, oh, that's going to work out, and went back to watching the game, right? He, he doesn't care about what I'm going through. Or the husband tries to take the emotion out of the conversation because that's how we solve problems. All right, let's take the emotion out and let's just look at the problem. Let's just solve the problem and then we can have some emotion if we want to, but let's kind of strip away the emotion and get right down to the problem. And what we fail to realize because of our communication style is that the the emotion is what she's trying to communicate oftentimes. And the reality is she doesn't need us to fix the problem. She could probably fix it better than we can fix it. She's not asking us to step in and save the day and ride out on a white horse. She's not asking us to fix it. She's asking us to listen, just to kind of enter into the problem. And so he thinks he's being helpful. She thinks he's being dismissive. And the opposite happens, too. 
Because wives think, well, you don't want to open up to me? When he's saying, nah, guys, it's going to be fine. It's going to, it's going to all work out. Wives don't understand that men have limited capacity for feelings and emotions. I don't know if you read any of the Jeff and Shanti Feldhahn, uh, for men only, for women only, for cats only, for dogs only, for only. It's like a whole enterprise of for only books. My favorite line from all of those books, it comes from for men only, my favorite line is this. Because most women don't have an emotional and even physical limit on their ability to listen and process emotion. In other words, you could just go on and on, right? You and a girlfriend at a coffee shop three days later, you hadn't taken a breath. You're like... Because most women don't have an emotional and even physical limit on their ability to listen and process emotion. They don't understand that most men do. They don't realize... It is almost a physical limitation like the mental equivalent of cardiovascular capacity. So ladies, have mercy on us. I live in a house with four women. There's a limit to how much I can emote. Times four. So here were these very opposite people coming at communication and marriage and, and, and relationship and language from two very different places. And this is just one example of how we are created and made different and we can make each other better and we can help each other and we need to get better. I, I, like, I like that comparison to cardiovascular capacity because you can improve your cardiovascular capacity and men and women we can improve our ability to listen to our spouse in the way that they need to be listened to <clears throat> best quote i read this week as i was preparing comes from uh, dodgers lesson leslie parrot they write one of the most important skills you can learn is how to talk so your mate will listen and how to listen so your mate will talk. One of the most important skills. Talk in a way that they're going to... Not how I would listen, not, not how my friend would listen to me. I need to talk in a way that they will listen and then I need to get better at listening in a way that keeps communication open, not shutting down, not looking for a quick answer or being dismissive. I need to listen in a way that will encourage them to keep talking. Which makes the next principle fairly obvious. Communication begins with listening and not with speaking. And we all know that there is a difference between <clears throat> hearing and listening, right? And there's a difference between hearing and listening. Most of us have the physical ability to hear. Sound waves in our ears, brain decodes, I heard it, get out of the way of the television, right? There's a difference between hearing and listening, and, and mainly for guys, we have to listen <clears throat> with a goal of understanding, not listen with the goal of fixing, because that's, that's where our brain's wired. We listen all day at work with the goal of fixing. We listen to most conversations with the goal of fixing. Well, I want to fix this and then move on. 
I want to fix this and then get back to. I want to fix this because halftime's almost over, right? I want to fix it and I want to move on. I want to fix it. And we've got to learn to listen, men, to understand, not listening primarily to fix. I, I don't remember everything I said at my wedding, but I'm pretty sure the vows did not include fixing my wife. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I've ever been to a wedding where part of the vows were a commitment to fix my spouse. I'm pretty sure I said I would cherish her. I'm positive I said I would love her. I would have and hold her for richer, for poorer, and sickness and health. I got all of that. I'm pretty sure I didn't make a promise to fix my spouse. And, and sometimes our communication breaks down because our goal is not just fixing the problem. Our goal is fixing our spouse. But that's not our job. Our job is to love our spouse. Our job is to cherish our spouse. And certainly, hopefully, being together for years and years and, and walking through good times and bad times and, and overcoming setbacks, hopefully it is making me a better person. Hopefully it is making my wife a better person. But the goal of our relationship, the promise we made 23 and a half years ago was not to fix each other. It's to love each other. To cherish each other each other, was to support each other, encourage each other, put each other ahead of ourselves. So if we're going to listen, what are the qualities we need to be an effective listener? There's probably a bunch. I'm going to give you four and we're going to wrap up. Here are four qualities necessary to be an effective listener in your marriage. Number one is focus. And I put this one in, and I put it number one because I'm terrible at this. Okay, I'm a guy. Right? And she's talking, and I'm thinking about something else. Right? And I'm checking my phone. Or the TV's on. In our conversations with one another, if we're going to be a list, someone who listens to understand, we've got to focus. And, and, and look, I, I know that every conversation you have with your spouse is not mission critical, all right? It's like, you don't have to go into the cone of silence with each other to make the grocery list. I, I totally get that. But there are certain conversations <clears throat> that he needs your attention, ladies. She needs your attention, men. And when we're having those conversations, I got to focus. Number two, acceptance. Another quality of effective listening. Focus, acceptance. Acceptance basically says you're safe in our conversations. You're safe. You're not going to be rejected. You're not going to be made fun of. It's, I, I'm not going to be cutting. I'm not going to be judgmental. You're safe. I accept you. I love you. I promise to love and cherish you. And in our conversations, you can always know you are safe. Which again, seems like, well, of course, if you're married and you love somebody, you're going to have conversations that are accepting. The problem is we're all selfish. And we all have that little bit of defensiveness in us. And we all have pride in us. And all of that wells up in our communication with one another. And we become defensive or push back. Quality of good communication between husband and wife is acceptance. It's why my wife occasionally be begins conversations with me like this. All right, 
I don't need a lecture when I tell you this. And I go, oh, hadn't been real accepting, have I? And our conversation, it's a good reminder. I got to work on acceptance. If my wife prefaces some of our conversations with, look, I don't need a lecture. Focus, acceptance. Number three, empathy. Empathy. I want to understand. I want to understand. Maybe I don't feel everything that you feel. Maybe I don't have all of the emotions for this that you have, but I want to understand why you feel that way. Another way of looking at empathy is I'm on your side. Like I'm standing with you. I'm on your side in this. I want to feel what you feel. I want to understand what's going on. I want to be here if I just need to be here. If you, if you want some advice, I want, to, I want to give that. But I want to understand why you feel the way you do. I'm on your side. And then lastly, warmth which may seem kind of weird. But conversations characterized by warmth allow for healthy communication. And let's be honest, warmth is really not conveyed in our words. It's more conveyed in our tone and our facial expressions and our body language. Those things either say, I'm present, I'm here, I'm open, I'm listening, I'm on your side. Or they say, would you hurry up, I got things to do. Can we just get this out? Let me just solve this real fast so I can, I want to be focused. I want want to be safe environment, you're accepted. I'm on your side, I want to feel what you feel, empathy, warmth. I'm not going to have a defensive posture. I'm not going to act like I'm bored and tired and ready to move on. And all of these characteristics take practice. And they take energy, especially for guys. They take energy. And, and part, of the, part of the problem, one of the things we have to look out for is we work in jobs where we communicate and communicate all day. And we're in meetings and we're handling things. And we're solving problems, and we get home, and we've got nothing left. We don't have emotional energy. We don't have vocabulary. We don't have mental energy. We don't have physical energy. If there is a breakdown in communication consistently in your home with your spouse, ask yourself, how much emotional energy am I saving for when I get home? What do I have left? Am, am, I, am I giving them the last 1% or am I saving something of me for the most important people in my life? Because that's who they are. I mean, hopefully, they're going to be the ones that you're with for the rest of your life. They deserve say, you saving a little bit of your emotional energy for them when they get home. So that... You and I can make good on the promise we made one time to love them till death do us part. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us the ability to communicate and and share with one another and, and grow in relationship and for warning us that with that ability, there's some inherent problems. And words can do 
great good or great damage. And that is so true in marriage. Help us to be careful with our words because they can wound. And it's hard to heal those wounds. There's forgiveness and there's grace. All of that's so true. But most married people know there, there are places I can go with my words that leave a mark for a long, long time. Help us to speak life. Help us to speak encouragement, love, support, acceptance, warmth, empathy. So that we truly can have a marriage that grows better year by year till death do us part. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.